the Seminoles of Florida, who gathered together free Indians and black slaves fleeing the northern lands. Together, they built a patchwork nation of peoples mirroring the melting pot of America. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. I refer first to the need for far greater public information. To the need for far greater official secrecy. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, that didn't happen. And here we are. You're wrong. Are you better better off than you were four years ago? When I hear your new ideas, I'm reminded of that ad. Where's the beef? They're looking for help. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. Well, Governor, we also have fewer forces and bayonets because the nature of our military has changed. We have these things called aircraft carriers where planes land on them. When we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. In a great peninsula at the edge of the continent lies a land of lush green forests and deep meandering swamps. Bordered on the east by the mighty Atlantic and on the west by the Gulf of Mexico, this is Florida, land of the great Seminole Nation. It was here that the Seminoles fought the longest resistance to U.S. expansion by any Indian nation. It took three wars, half the U.S. Army, and over $30 million to subdue the proud and defiant Seminole people. To this day, the Seminoles remain the only Indian nation that never signed a document of surrender with the U.S. government. Florida's first people, the Temucua, Calusa, and other tribes, were virtually wiped out by war and disease brought by the Spanish and British in the 16th and 17th centuries. Then, in the early 1700s, a wave of refugees came to Florida from the north, fleeing from the expanding British colonies. They were Creek Indians driven off their lands by settlers and African slaves and other Indians escaping slavery. In the lush grasslands of Spanish Florida, these Indians and blacks began to merge into one people known as the Seminoles. Their name came from the Creek word Seminoli, meaning runaway or wild. And for many years, these runaways lived together in the untamed land of northern Florida. 
Blacks formed their own towns side by side with Indians, some free, some enslaved to Indian masters. Life centered around Seminole towns, or Tawas. They worshipped the master of breath, embodied in the sun, and took names for their clans from the world around them. Names like alligator, turtle, snake, and maize. Every summer, at harvest time, the Seminole people gathered in town squares to celebrate the new year with the Green Corn Festival. After eight days of dancing, sweat baths, and purification, the priests swept the old ashes from the fire pits. Then they started a new fire in the town square, and all past grievances were forgiven. Medicine men carried hot coals from the town fire to each home, and on every hearth the people roasted green corn. In the warmer climate of Florida, Seminole farmers began to grow large groves of oranges, and many learned the ways of horse ranching and slaveholding from their European neighbors. The Seminole chief, King Payne, even owned a plantation with 20 slaves, 1,500 head of cattle, and 400 horses. But then, in 1776, American colonists revolted against British rule. England created chaos by proclaiming freedom for all African slaves. More and more African runaways fled south to join the Seminoles. American slaveholders grew angry and nervous about whole towns of black Indians living at their southern doorstep. After the Revolutionary War, Americans began crossing the Florida border to settle on Indian lands. Slave traders raided Seminole villages, kidnapping anyone who looked black. Infuriated, the Seminoles struck back. In 1817, the American government sent Army General Andrew Jackson down south on a mission to recapture runaway slaves. Jackson's troops illegally crossed Spain's Florida border and burned Seminole villages, confiscated livestock, and destroyed food stores. The Seminole people fought back, their numbers tripled by New Creek refugees from the north. That November of 1817, the Seminoles ambushed a boat carrying women, children, and 40 soldiers on the Apalachicola River, and all but 13 whites were shot dead. This marked the beginning of the First Seminole War. Once again, Andrew Jackson marched into Florida. Jackson and his troops destroyed more Seminole towns, and the Seminoles fled further south. Jackson's victory in the First Seminole War led Spain to sign a document with the United States for the sale of Florida. The Seminoles were coerced by the U.S. government to sign a treaty and were pressed onto a large reservation in central Florida. These new lands were swampy and unfit for farming, game was scarce, and government rations in short supply. The officer in charge of the reservation reported, they are in the most miserable situation, and unless the government assists them, many of them will starve to death. In this hour of desperation, one warrior rose to lead the Seminoles in their second war of resistance. His name was Osceola, and he soon became one of the great leaders in American Indian history. In 1834, the government tried to get the Seminole chiefs to sign a treaty for their removal to Oklahoma. Government agents spread the treaty on the table and waited tensely. Suddenly, Osceola jumped up and plunged his knife into the treaty, saying, the only way I will sign is with this. A government agent named Wiley Thompson arrested Osceola 
and the chief shouted as he was dragged away. I will remember the hour. The agent has had his day. I will have mine. Osceola was soon released from prison and with his great skill as a speaker, convinced his people that they must resist. In December of 1835, Osceola ambushed and murdered the Indian agent Wiley Thompson. That same day, Seminole Chief Mikanopi led an attack on government troops under the command of Major Francis Dade near present-day Ocala. 180 Seminole warriors ambushed Dade's infantry unit. The entire army command was soon annihilated with only three known survivors. The Dade massacre was a shocking defeat for the U.S. Army and brought down the full fury of the government. The Second Seminole War had now begun. To the whites, Osceola said, you have guns and so have we. Your men will fight and so will ours until the last drop of the Seminole's blood has moistened the dust of our hunting grounds. At the end of a bloody and futile year of fighting, the U.S. had nearly one half of its army in Florida. General Jessup called Osceola to meet under a flag of truce, but then double-crossed him and threw the great leader into prison in St. Augustine. Three months later, broken-hearted and severely ill, Osceola died in prison in Fort Moultrie, South Carolina. Osceola's death was a horrible setback to the Seminole resistance and the army continued its relentless war against the people, pushing the Seminoles deeper and deeper into Florida's southern swamps and Everglades. Perhaps 500 Seminoles remained in Florida, nearly invisible in the deep swamps. Their lands often covered with water, they lived by hunting and gathering, and by raising vegetables in small plots above the waterline. They built elevated homes, and they learned to avoid the deadly water moccasins that occupied their swamps. But civilization occasionally discovered isolated bands. In 1855, in an effort to agitate the remaining Seminole people, a U.S. surveying party raided the garden of Billy Bowlegs, the last of the Seminole chiefs. The government agents confiscated what they could carry and burned the rest. Bowlegs led his people on in resistance against the army for three years, but finally, outnumbered and out of resources, Bowlegs and his followers surrendered and were sent west of the Mississippi. Yet several hundred Seminoles managed to stay behind in the vast, uncharted Everglades. The government finally gave up pursuit of these last free Seminole Indians, and to this day, they never formally surrendered. Like the melting pot that became America, the Seminoles are a patchwork of different peoples and cultures. They are Indians, African slaves, and other refugees united in a struggle to create a separate nation. A proud and defiant people, the Seminoles remain today the only unconquered Indian nation in the United States. Thank you for listening to Public Access America, produced by Public Access Pod. Discover great new playlists on SoundCloud at Public Access America. Discover our catalog of vintage videos on YouTube at Public Access America. And finally, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. This 
This has been Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making.